This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Property Show. Almost 7,500 structural fire cases were recorded last year. That's an average of 20 fires a day and excludes incidences outside of a structure like storage centres, trains, car, buses and of course garbage. Now fires are hard to forget with sometimes high loss of lives like the horrific fire at a religious school with 223 deaths excuse me, in 2017. Aside from the loss of life and damage, the cost can also be exorbitant. A recent fire at a textile mall in Shah Alam cost an estimated loss of 100 million ringgit. So what can we do to protect ourselves and our premises from a fire? What are the current regulations for fire safety? For some answers, we turn to architect Chong Lee Siong, a member of the Malaysian Institute of Architects and the Institute of Fire Engineers, UK Malaysia branch. Good morning, Lee Siong. Thanks so much for joining us. I want to start the conversation at the very beginning. I mean, what does an architect or planner you know, do when it comes to ensuring fire safety? What needs to be in the design and are there building codes that must be followed? Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for having me here. So fire safety is really, really a very integral part of our built environment. We can't build an environment that causes harm back to ourselves. Our environment is supposed to be uh, something that's safer, something that's better, something that's more efficient, something that's more comfortable, something that's healthier mm. than our natural environment yeah, to suit our new purpose. So yeah, fire safety is definitely a very, very integral part of uh, the results of our design in the creating of a built environment. Yeah, but are there any building codes that must be followed? Are there any prescribed rules already out in existence that we need to follow, that we need to be aware of? Oh yes, definitely. Uh, perhaps not so much for the ultimate end users, uh, because really that's our job. Mm. Uh, yes, of course. The uh, in everything we do, well, in a civilized society like this, yeah, uh, in everything we do, we are governed by codes and regulations. Uh, primarily for buildings, uh, it starts off with the Street and Drainage Act of the country. Then from there, uh, particularly for buildings, we have the Uniform Building Bylaws. Uniform Building Bylaws is something that's gazetted by Parliament. It goes through many, many revisions over the years, uh, which uh, we as architects, we do get involved in the process of the uh, uh, the improvements and the revisions in the bylaws. Uh, so there is a uniform building bylaws. And together with that, since you're talking particularly about fire safety, uh, there is the um, the overall fire, safe, fire Services Act of the country. That one particularly empowers BOMBA, our mm. firefighters, uh, with the with the uh, with the with the authority to to uh, issue guidelines, issue directives, and also to enforce the uh, the, the the building codes. Um, then, from the building codes, we also have a lot of standards, Malaysian standards, over the years, um, and the standards are the ones that particularly look into the technical aspects of the prescriptions and the specifications okay. that we will have to do. Okay, so Lee Siong, what are the concepts of fire safety? I understand that there are four basic principles that must be incorporated. What are they? Okay, um, um, the principles are very, very simple principles um, and it's 
very general. It applies throughout everything. Uh, there's regardless nothing of, out of the ordinary. About okay, it. so regardless of yeah. whether it's a residential, commercial mm. property, or a large venue, right? What are those four basic principles? Yeah. So we're talking about fire that occurs within the uh, the built environment. So principle number one is get out of the building if there's a fire. So the first principle is designed for quick evacuation. Principle number two would be after you get the people out of the building or in the process of getting the people out of the building, you will want to contain that fire. You do not want the fire to grow bigger. Mm. You do not want the fire to spread from one end to another. Mm. So the second principle is containment. And the third principle is that we call it active uh, suppression or active intervention. That means if there's a fire, you would probably want certain means of being able to help you to contain the fire or to put out the fire. So that's where active intervention comes in. And the fourth principle, last but definitely not the least, is to allow access for firefighting and rescue. That means you must allow the building. The building has to be designed in such a way that you must allow other people to come and rescue you. So, Lee Seung, I've had a look at some of your past presentations on fire safety and I can conclude it requires some very technical planning. Um, but as a building owner, you know, what can I do to ensure compliance if I'm about to embark on a project? Hire the right person? Is it as simple as that? Hire the right architect? Yeah, well, if you do intend to build your own building, you do intend to design your own building, of course, you hire the right people. <laughs> um, the legislation of the country is very, very uh, strict in the sense that the only people authorized to design buildings are, of course, architects and the qualified professionals. So we take full liability in the, uh, in the compliance with all the codes when we deliver our design to, to, to the owner. Mm. Yeah, but I, I, I suppose for um, maybe 80 or 90% of the population, uh, you will be occupying buildings or you'll be buying buildings or purchasing buildings or occupying buildings that of which you don't commission someone to design no. for you. Yeah. you. You take it off the shelf in that sense. Huh? So uh, I would like to equate that to say the way you buy a car. You walk into the showroom, you trust that Proton is the right car for you. So you walk into the showroom, you look at it, you find that it's nice and you buy it. Uh, you wouldn't exactly be in the position to say, uh, has the engineers in that car company designed the car to comply with the laws of the country, comply with JPJ and all that? No, you will buy the car on the full confidence that the car has been homologated for sale mm. and it can be registered with JPJ. So you will buy the car that it's, you will have, the car would have met all the minimum regulatory compliances in terms of safety and functionality when you buy the car. Yeah? So it'll be the same with homeowners or occupiers. You will walk into a building and if the building is actually standing there, it really should have been designed by a professional. It really should have gone through all the regulatory checks and balances. Mm. It should have already got a CCC, its Certificate of Completion and Compliance. And subsequently, uh, it should have got its fire certificates. So you as a building owner or building occupier should be entering the building with full confidence. Okay, so let's say hypothetically I'm a building owner. 
hypothetically, I didn't follow the rules and hypothetically, the building miraculously got built. What are the consequences from a legal and regulatory perspective if I breach fire safety codes? I still go ahead and do what I want. Mm. Well, the building owner are wholly responsible for your actions. Uh, um, it's the same like with everything else. If you own a piece of land, you're wholly responsible for what happens on a piece of land. If you rent out a piece of land for illegal activity, you as the landowner will be the first one to be hauled mm. up. You'll be answerable. Uh, likewise, if you rent your apartment to a tenant and the tenant use that apartment for illegal activity, you as a landowner are wholly responsible. So, so in the same context, uh, if you are a building owner, and you cause the construction of a building of which has not been supervised by the qualified professionals, it's not built by the qualified contractors, it has not gone through all the statutory certifications. Uh, you as the building owner, if you cause that to happen, you are wholly liable for the consequences. What are the penalties in Malaysia though? Because you know, people usually people aren't scared unless they find out what the penalties are. I would have to say that the penalties are definitely there, um, but it's probably not too big. <laughs> uh, for the construction of an illegal building, uh, the local authorities can fine you uh, 10 times the building plan fees, uh, and the building plan fees are calculated based on the floor areas. Whatever you have built, uh, they will calculate what would have been the plan fee that you're supposed to have paid. Uh, when you submit the building plans for approval. But since you didn't do so and you constructed it, they can immediately find you 10 times the applicable plan fees. Uh, then they may very likely give you a, a, an order for the building to be demolished. Failure which they may actually demolish it for you and then lo load you with the fees. Hmm. Or uh, the worst case scenario, they'll haul you up to court. Uh, uh, that would be from the local authorities. Uh, from a fire safety point of view, if you have a building already and you're already occupying it, uh, but you commit a uh, breach in fire safety, uh, say say you're the building owner of a public building, say a shopping mall and all that, you allow the shopping mall to have an activity or to have certain renovations or certain fittings in there that impairs the firefighting safety of the building. Uh, Bomba can issue notices to the owner for it to rectify and failure to do so, uh, the building may be shut down. Bomba has a right to shut down the building from from the uh, sh shut it down from public occupation, and also haul up the owners to court. So, Li Xiong, I'm also curious in terms of our standards that in Malaysia that are enforced. How does it compare to global standards? When it comes to fire safety, uh, we have what is commonly known as the passive safety and the active safety. Uh, I will have to say that in Malaysia, in terms of the technical knowledge, we are right up there with the rest of the world. Our firefighters, Bomba, uh, they, they are very, very qualified people in there. And of course, us, we are the architects and our engineers and all that. We are all very, very qualified people. And we are right up there with uh, all the current standards. Uh, but when it comes to our local building legislation, uh, we have to understand that uh, Malaysia is a developing country. On our first building was would, would you believe it? Actually, our first uniform building bylaws only gets settled in 1984. Oh, okay, that's, like, that's it quite might recent. Sound a long, <laughs> it might sound a long time ago. Everything, everything like, is about relative, it, it's though. Very, very yeah, yes, yeah, it is. Re relatively very, very recent. Yeah? Uh, prior to that, there'll be a lot of local 
uh, local enactments and all that. Huh? Uh, but because we, we, we came out from the British colonial times, so the Uniform Building Bylaws 1984 uh, was actually the first set of what is known as a Uniform Building Code for the whole country. And uh, it is also based on the old British, mm. a lot of the old British uh, codes. Yeah? So that formed the basis. And uh, that is uh, actually a very, very robust code. So the original codes were kind of robust in terms of uh, passive safety, building construction, fire rating, robustness of the building. That's where our building code started. We started with a very robust building mm. code. Yeah, of course, over the years, um, with uh, with new technology coming in, with our buildings reaching up to the sky and all that, around about nineteen, the early nineteen nineties, uh, just prior to the uh, the grand projects that we were having, like KLIA, KLCC, the huge twin towers and all that, that's where the immediate awareness came in and said, "Oh, look, you know, our building codes may actually be too robust and too." restrictive. Mm. Uh, so that's where the code started to develop and we adopted a lot of the uh, international standards. As the codes were developed, um, standards were also developed to go in conjunction with the codes. So yeah, I would say as it stands today, uh, we, in terms of our knowledge, we are right up there with the rest of the world. Mm. Uh, and I would have to say that we have also been deliberately a little, little bit more conservative with our current prescriptive codes. Okay. Yeah, because we know Malaysia, we um we are still a developing country. We can't go too far yet, so our codes are a little bit more, still a little bit more, uh, I should say, robust. Okay. Yeah, we are not right up to the edge yet. Okay. We still want to have a certain degree of uh, safety margin for ourselves <laughs> over here. On the property show this morning is architect Chong Lee Siong, member of the Malaysian Institute of Architects and the Institute of Fire Engineers UK Malaysia branch. After the break, we discuss the process to obtain a fire certificate and how you can keep your home safe. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're tuned into the property show and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Today, joining us for a conversation on fire safety is in Malaysia is architect Chong Lee Siong, a member of the Malaysian Institute of Architects and the Institute of Fire Engineers UK Malaysia branch. I want to understand the process of ensuring that my building is fire safe. So I've done with the building plan. That's all, you know, legal. So I've crossed that list, crossed that off my list. But when does Bomber get involved? Because you mentioned that earlier, at which stage? And is this where the certificate of compliance and completion is obtained? Every building uh, that goes through the process of getting approvals, uh, when it's built and finished, the architects and the respective engineers and also the respective builders uh, would collectively certify uh, that the building is safe for occupation. And ultimately, the architect, once he's gathered all the respective certifications, the architect will issue what is known as the CCC, mm. the Certificate of Completion and Compliance. Yeah? So that is the equivalent of the architect signing off on the building and say, okay, thank you very much for engaging me on this project. I've designed the building. Uh, we have supervised the construction. Now everything is built and I certify that the building is now completed thoroughly in accordance to the, uh, the, the statutory compliances and the building is now safe and ready okay. for the owner to occupy. So that's the first certification. Subsequent to that, uh, there will be 
what is known as a fire certificate. Now, the fire certificate does not apply to all buildings. It only applies to buildings, generally buildings of a public nature, of a certain size and beyond, industrial buildings, commercial buildings, hotels and all that, of a certain size and beyond. It particularly doesn't apply to single residential buildings. So if you're a house owner, you probably will not have heard of a fire certificate no. and Bomba will not even bother. What is the requirement of a fire certificate though? Okay, a fire certificate is a bit... I'll again use the analogy of uh, cars and trucks and lorries. Mm. Yeah. If you buy a private car, uh, the first registration with JPJ, uh, the manufacturer will send in the registration and you get your registration, so it's done. Your car is ready for you to take home, supposed to be safe. After that, the maintenance is entirely at the owner's risk. Right? You make sure you maintain the car properly and keep it safe. Uh, but if you run a commercial vehicle, like say a lorry or a bus, uh, after the first registration, then thereafter, in order to renew your license, uh, you'll have to send it for the JPJ inspections, yeah, the annual roadworthy inspections. I think it's every six months or something. Yeah. So the fire certificate is equivalent of that. So Bomber certifies that everything is okay? Yeah. You as a building owner where to make your building available for inspection. Okay. So you have to make the application to Bomba and say, okay, my annual certificate is due. So Bomba, please come for inspection. And I'm and curious, Bomba then... how easy is it to invite Bomba to come for an uh, inspection? Because I did read a news report that that uh, around 40% of, the, of uh, 2,200 premises in Johor are still without a fire certificate, some of which includes government buildings, hotels, factories and shopping malls. So you want to be in compliance, but there's a delay in that. I mean, can you tell us, is this really a problem in Malaysia? Uh, no. Bomba do have an entire department dedicated to fire certification. It is one whole department of itself. It's mm. totally independent from the enforcement people, totally independent from the, uh, the approving authorities, yeah, the building approval. Uh, it is a department known as the Fire Certification Department. So, uh, designated buildings, upon you getting your CCC, uh, Bomba would have then registered that the building have got the CCC already, and this is a designated building. The validity of the fire certificate, oh, sorry, you then need to have an annual fire certificate, mm. right? One year from the date of your CCC. And that will be the start of the first fire certificate, and thereafter, annually. Uh, so, all you have to do, all the the onus is on the building owners to inform Bomba that your building is ready for a fire certificate and Bomba will come. Uh, once the appointment is made, uh, they will turn up and, uh, and they'll do the inspection. So whether the building passes the inspection or not depends on the condition of the building. Okay. In, in Malaysia, is, there, is, there a, is it very expensive to get this uh, certification? Is it just a nominal no. fee? No, it's a very nominal fee. Uh, they charge you by the number of the installations that you have in the building. Uh, they'll be um, so yeah, it'll be kind of nominal relative to the size and scale of the building and and the complexity of the systems that uh, okay. is available. It's very nominal. It's part and parcel of the uh, the cost of building ownership. All right, uh, Lee Seong, let's bring the conversation back to us as homeowners, right? Because um, how do we actually protect our residential homes from a fire? What's the basic, that, the, what's the very 
the least that we can actually do. Okay. Uh, they always say safety begins at home, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, okay, assuming that the building that you're occupying is already certified, yes. fit for occupation, everything's in place, uh, really is our manner of usage. Uh, the, the biggest cause of fires is actually electrical fires. So, yeah, just watch your <laughs> electrical installations, um, ensure that you don't overload your plug points. Make sure that they're like serum that. approved, right? I heard that's one way. Primarily, that's true. Uh, that's electrical safety under mm. Surosan Jaya Tanada National. So, yeah, do ensure that you only buy uh, electrical appliances that have got the serum approval. That's a start. Mm. Yeah. Thereafter, just be on a very careful lookout. Don't overload your power point. Constantly listen out for uh, unusual noises. Usually, the electrical appliances, when they start to go wrong, you can start to hear some funny noises, unusual heat at the point of uh, where the plug points are. Would you recommend someone to buy like fire extinguishers for, for their home to put them yeah. in, in some places? Yeah. Like, let's say the kitchen the, where a fire can happen, I would imagine. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, in fact, the uh, our new legislation now, uh, the most recent updates to the very very recent updates to uh, to to the uh, to our building codes is that now all residential houses you are actually encouraged to have a fire extinguisher, and when new developers hand over a building to you, yeah, you will get a fire extinguisher now. That's number one. And secondly, is the legislation on the uh, installation of. Uh, self-contained smoke detectors in houses. Yeah, so if you've already got an existing house which has not been covered by the latest legislation, yeah, we do encourage you to do that because it's just part and parcel of um, being prepared yourself. And a lot of people don't for, don't remember actually there's an expiry date to the fire extinguisher as well, right? True. They don't last you forever. To, yeah, you're right. You have to send it for an annual uh, recharging annual. Okay. And the other thing about Malaysia, you know, we are very security-centric. So we all typically have window grills. But there are also many sad cases of fire victims losing their lives because they, they were trapped in the house and they couldn't escape, you know. So I'm curious, what, what can we do to avoid this? Is, is, are there alternative designs for, for window grills perhaps? Or should we be, make sure that the keys are available? What's the simple advice you can give for people? Well, you, you'll probably be surprised to know. I'm sure many people will be surprised to know that uh, 20 over years ago, we've actually worked with Bomba, and Bomba has issued a guideline on what will constitute a safe window grill or safe door grill. The guidelines are still available. You go to any Bomba stations, you should still be able to pick up this leaflet. Mm. It gives you a very basic prescription. Essentially, it just means one thing. Uh, while you have your window grills to prevent people from breaking in from the outside, the same window grill will have to be configured in a manner that is easy for you to unlatch it or to remove it on the inside uh, with minimum with minimum effort. So yeah, the legislation all there. So I suppose the problem is that uh, the people who purchase these grills or to ask for these grills to be installed, first they are not aware of the of this basic safety requirement that you really want to allow yourself the opportunity to jump off the window if you, if, when you need it. Yes. And also the people who make these grills, they are not aware. So you ask them to make them a grill, they'll deliver you a grill. I think it's a matter of awareness. The public is just not... Fire safety is probably not too 
It's not a priority when someone builds a house, obviously. And Lisa, yeah. one one last word of advice. If there was a fire in your house, what would you tell the person to do? I would say you have to run if you can. Uh, if it is something that you've just observed, of course, if you're in a house, uh, you should mm. be familiar with the nature of your house. If you Where the exits uh, cook, are. Where the exits are and all that. Uh, mm. Always, always be ready. In other words, if you do insist on locking your grill, if you haven't configured your grill for a quick latch release, for example, at least be very, very familiar with your own house eh, that you will know exactly what to do, where to run out from. Yeah, Because a house is small, generally. And our building codes are also designed in such a manner that a single residential house contains practically the, the least number of prescriptive codes as to what you have to do in the house. Because it's really just it. Principle number one, if I can get you out of the house fast enough, everything else follows much later. Yeah. So, yeah. Run. If you're an old house, run. <laughs> know exactly where to run. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're in the upper room, bedroom or uh, bathrooms and all that, yeah, look at your window. Because most houses, most windows are actually designed for you to jump out because that's also part of the regulations. Uh, if you if you have uh, a, a building with a single staircase only, part of the regulations dictates that the windows, mm. perimeter windows, uh, for floors that are not more than 12 meters high, uh, you are actually supposed to design it to be fully openable to allow someone to escape, jump out. Yeah. 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 On that note, thank you for your time. Today on The Property Show was architect Chong Lee Siong, a member of the Malaysian Institute of Architects and the Institute of Fire Engineers UK Malaysia branch. Coming up next, we have the 10am News Bulletin followed by Enterprise. Stay tuned for that, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.